This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Zach Goodman joins the show to talk about the Rockies' 25-1 loss to the Angels last Saturday and a historical footnote you might not be aware of. Our special guest this week is Rockies outfielder Nolan Jones. I'm a competitor. I don't care who's on the mound. I don't care who we're facing. At some point, there's a factor that separates people, and I think what separates me from other people is that I'm, I'm going to compete no matter what. Plus, the College World Series and why jello shots matter. Ole Miss crushed it last year and set the new record with 12,000. And then this year, LSU comes in and they, have like, they bought like 75,000 shots. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. All right, welcome in, everybody. It is show number 208. I think I may have said that last week, or did I get it right last week? I can't remember. I lose track, but I know it's 208. And I hope you're all doing well. Uh, The Rockies, let me begin with the Rockies here for a moment. The Rockies on Saturday played a game in which I got more friends and acquaintances and people I hadn't heard from texting me than after any game I can recall in a long, long time. That, of course, was the 25-1 to 1 debacle in which the Rockies were behind 23 to nothing after four innings of play. And then people ask, how do you do it? What do you say? Well, I mean, you got to be honest. It's awful. It's a bad day. But you just keep, you know, trudging along, I guess. I resisted uh, a bunch of cynical lines and sarcastic lines. And, and you know, you get through it. There was a lot of amazing things. But even at the big league level, on occasion, that stuff happens. And the amazing thing, I guess, was that the Rockies ended up winning the series two out of three. Had a little fun on social media because the only other time a team won a series and was minus 20 or worse in run differential differential for a three-game series, was back in 1897, that uh, three-game set, you may recall, between the Chicago Colts and the Louisville Colonels, and I claimed I was there, but um, there you go. And with that, I'm going to bring in my uh, middle son, Zach Goodman. Zach's with me uh, on occasion on the show, and uh, what was your thoughts, by the way, on that uh, that little ball game Saturday night? Uh, once it got to the point in the third inning where they already had 22, 24 runs, I was hoping they they tiled off so that the Rockies could, uh, I guess, on the wrong side of history, I guess, but the 30-run the total, I guess, would have been cool to see. Um, but it, it's so funny because, of course, it was the Angels in this series. Uh, they, they always make those jokes on Twitter where it's like this uh, Otani and Trout did something. Otani did something that hadn't been done since Tungsten Armour, Tungsten Armour Doyle did it um, way back when, and um, just weird tweets like that, and Trout goes uh, has such a great series, and and somehow the Angels found a way to lose, and somehow they they had one of the most lopsided victories probably in the MLB the, this year, I'm sure, and somehow lost a, a three game set in it. Well, it was one of the most lopsided losses in the history of the sport. So the amazing thing is, if you saw the box score or haven't seen the box score yet, is a better way of phrasing it, you would have assumed that Shohei Otani went off. Shohei Otani statistically was the worst angel that night. He got all seven at-bats for the guys at the top of the order. Trout only played four innings. By the way, Trout almost came up three times in one inning. I've never seen that at any level, period. Because, you know, it's a TKO at that point in youth sports, and everybody gets a soda, and they get to go home. Um, I guess they don't give out sodas anymore. But Otani was one for seven, a measly single. He drove in a run with that single. 
He was the worst angel. But if you're fr- if you see this score on uh, you know in Seattle or in New York or in Cincinnati, or you say, "Oh man, what, I got to check this out." Otani probably hit three home runs and drove in ten, and he was one for seven. That was kind of uh, ironic, I guess. Uh, it was ironic on that, but he uh, he backed it up a couple days later uh, last night, hitting two home runs and striking out ten guys. That's that's some ridiculous stuff, and that's that's who he is. And we got to see him go back to back with with Trout on Friday night, so. Yeah, one for seven. He really let the team down in their in their twenty four to one victory. Yeah, the Friday night game that you referenced—that's the one where uh, Elias Diaz hit the grand slam in the eighth inning, first grand slam for the Rockies in in a year and a half. The last one was also hit by Diaz, and that had everything. And it reminded me of when I used to do the Nuggets, and they weren't the World Champion Nuggets back then. Most of the time, in the years I was doing them, they weren't great, uh, and that is probably an understatement. But when the Bulls would come to town with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Tony Kukoc and, and for me, you know, a, a dynastic Bulls team, one of the greatest teams of all time, Nugget fans wanted to see two things. They wanted to see the upset of the Bulls and they wanted to see Michael, the greatest player, score 40. And so if he got 40 and the Nuggets won, it was it was the best thing they could possibly have happen, right? The greatest scenario. That's what was Friday night because you got the back-to-back home runs that you referenced, Otani and Trout, and then you get the Grand Slam late and the Rockies walk off winners in, in front of a sellout crowd. Yeah, there was a there was a ton of people there and it was mostly Rockies as it should be at Coors Field, but there wasn't, it, it was really a ton of Rockies fans too and it was passionate. It was a loud stadium when Elias Diaz hit that home run. But like you mentioned, you, you you go watch the Bulls. You wanted your team to win, and you wanted Michael Jordan to drop forty five. Uh, well, it was the same way. Uh, you wanted to see Otani and Mike Trout do as much as they can, but you wanted to see the Rockies pull off that victory. Obviously, uh, it's not too often you get to see two of the greatest players in the history of baseball go back to back and then turn around and have a a great ending with Elias Diaz hitting that that grand slam. You almost had one last night at the end of the game as well. Yeah, against Kershaw. We'll get to that in a moment. Do you think people, you're, you're a college baseball player, do you think the people you hang with who are baseball players, do you think they were, were general sports fans realize how ridiculously great and rare Shohei Otani is as a baseball player? I, I do think so. I, and I know this because if you talk to people who don't really watch baseball, and I uh, I, I bartend, so I end up seeing uh, getting into random conversations with a bunch of people, even uh, people who don't watch baseball at all. And I'll say, yeah, there's this guy named Shohei Otani. He did this, whatever. And everyone I talk to is like, oh, I know who Shohei Otani is. Which in baseball sometimes that doesn't really necessarily happen with everyone. But the fact that everyone knows who he is, uh, I think. I think MLB, the MLB is as they should. They've been trying so hard to market him, and uh, at, at the very least, they've had some success. Because I I can't meet I haven't met anyone in a while who doesn't know who Shohei Otani is, which um, is good for the league. And uh, obviously, the people who really follow baseball understand how special Shohei Otani is. Uh, I've said this before. I'm certainly not in the minority here. He's two phenomenal players. In other words, if he was just a hitter, you could make a convincing and compelling argument. He's one of the four or five best hitters in baseball, most impactful hitters in baseball. Well, coming into the the series at Coors Field, he led all of baseball in OPS. So 
that right there suggests he's among the handful of best offensive players in baseball. So as a free agent, he would be worthy of one of these 300 plus million dollar contracts that we've seen for a number of players over the last several years. Now you throw in the pitching side and he has the lowest batting average against of any starting pitcher by a significant amount. I think going into the ball game last night, teams were hitting below 180 against him and he had a great night last night. And he strikes out guys at one of the highest rates in baseball, et cetera. So as a pitcher, he's a $300-plus million pitcher. Now you put them together, what do you have? <laughs> There's so many contract uh, predictions where it's over $500 million, which is probably uh, around the, the right number. I think it's so higher crazy. than that. I honestly do. I think it's higher than that. It's It's crazy what... It, we'll never I, we'll never see something like this ever again. Uh, I, I genuinely don't think so. And uh, just to do it from both sides, and the the main thing is that his stuff is unbelievably nasty. He's getting strikeouts at crazy rates. I was lucky enough uh, when they came to St. Louis when I was in town. Uh, one of my buddies had tickets a couple rows up from the Angels dugout, so I got to watch him strike out thirteen guys in that game and hit three balls at like one hundred ten miles an hour. It was. It's ridiculous the stuff he does in the games, and I mean he's just better than everybody else at, at both sides of the ball, and it's it's something special we won't see. I got one for you. Maybe you don't even know. Do you know how's the fastest time to first this year? At least as of about a week ago, fastest time from home to first this year. I, I assume it's Shohei Otani. Yeah. Shohei Otani. Yeah, he flies right out of the box, especially from that left side. Oh yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz will probably break that. Speaking of Ellie De La Cruz, since I mentioned his name, we were in Cincinnati on the last road trip, the, the Boston-Atlanta-Cincinnati trip. Ellie De La Cruz has been a big leaguer for like 10 minutes. And boy, oh boy, what an impact he's had. Cincinnati has soared to first place in the Central. Uh, Reds fans, great baseball town. They they can't get enough of of Ellie De La Cruz. They have Matt McClain at shortstop. They have other nice players. Fraley's doing a good job, you know, in the outfield. Spencer Steer. It's a really good-looking, exciting young team. You hope that the Rockies can, can use some of their building blocks and in a couple of years have that kind of excitement uh, with, the, with the young nucleus again at Coors Field. But back to Ellie De La Cruz. This dude, up close, I don't know if I've seen anyone as fast in a baseball uniform short of like Deion Sanders. He's freakishly fast. And anytime he puts the ball in play, I mean, he puts such tremendous pressure on the defense. Blast to watch. It's it's funny because he's almost like in MLB The Show make a player, the, the video game for MLB where you're going, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself as an MLB shortstop. I'm going to make myself 6'5", yet somehow I have all this power. I'm a great defender, and I, I fly also. And I'm, You turn into you know the greatest Hall of Fame player of all time, and that's that's the fun of playing the video game. Uh, but then you look out on the field, and that's what L.A. De La Cruz is. That's what he looks like. Obviously, he's only a few games in his career. A lot can happen. But from a straight talent standpoint, it it's literally like he was made in a video game. Yeah, it's crazy. That, 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 that's a good analogy. Shohei Otani also uh, putting up numbers like he's a, a video game character. Uh, one other note on the Rockies and who they've played, and and he's a guy you mentioned a moment ago. Clayton Kershaw has been around forever, yet he's only 35. And he has struggled at different times pitching at Coors Field. 
As we tape this, he pitched Tuesday night at Coors Field. We're doing this on a Wednesday uh, late morning. He was sensational. In fact, he was flirting fairly early still with a perfect game for a while. Yeah, it was it was really fun to watch. It was another one of those things where even though it's the Dodgers, you you have to take enjoyment if you're at the game of watching one of the one of the greatest pitchers who will ever uh, lace up their cleats a, a pitch at Coors Field, and he certainly did not let anyone down. Obviously, you're always rooting for the Rockies, but once a guy gets to a certain point in a in a perfect game or no hit bid, you're like, okay, now I want them to <laughs> to get this. And Brenton Doyle ended up ended up breaking it up, but Kershaw is. He's not aging at all. Thirty-five. I know baseball. You can, you can, especially as a pitcher, play late into your career. Uh, but the guy leads major league, uh, major league baseball in WHIP this year. Uh, was the first guy to ten wins last night um, in, in in the major leagues this year. Uh, last year he had a sub, uh, a sub one WHIP. He's had a two five five ERA this year. He doesn't age, and it's so funny because we talk about who the greatest players of all time are, who the greatest pitchers. And if you really go look at Clayton Kershaw's numbers, especially if he's able to play a few more years and at the level that he is, he's going to go down as, and he already had, he already is. He is, I think you mentioned to me that he is the best ERA in the live ball era out of any, out of any starting pitcher. So it's crazy. And I encourage anyone, if you, if you want to, uh, drop your jaw a little bit to look up baseball reference Clayton Kershaw year by year stats and look at, everything he's done because he's simply never had a he's either had absolutely dominant years or great years and on the rare occasion a really good year yeah he's he already he's if he retires tomorrow he's a slam the gavel down first ballot hall of famer and he's in the argument for greatest uh, one of the greatest pitchers ever no one would dismiss him from that conversation anybody who has any knowledge of the game uh, it's an interesting, as you were talking there, I'm thinking about this period of time, and it, it's a fascinating period of time because when you talk about the Hall of Fame, I always say that, and this is this is not to uh, repudiate anybody who's in the Hall of Fame. They're great, 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 great players. They're the best of the best. It's the hardest Hall of Fame to get into. But, but there's almost like a select few that belong in the penthouse, the Willie Mazes, the Henry Aarons, of the world that they're even somehow, uh, you know, at a higher level. Well, we're watching right now, Shohei Otani one day, I know he hasn't done it for a long period of time, but he's of that caliber. Mike Trout, clearly, and he's not having a great year, Mike Trout kind of year, but he's still been so distant from everyone else in the game for a long period of time. Miguel Cabrera, who's on his last legs, I understand that he's coming to town here in a few days. But these are, as I like to say, slam the gavel down, first ballot, Hall of Famers. There's no argument. There should be no, you know, it should be unanimous, which we've only seen one of with Mariano Rivera, but that's a whole other topic. But it's kind of an interesting period, isn't it? It, it is cool. And uh, it, just in periods in general, uh, like you mentioned, there, there's different levels to the Hall of Fame. And uh, obviously, I, I think eventually Kershaw and uh, guys like Trout and Otani could could end up in that tier. And Miguel Cabrera, obviously, last guy to win a Triple Crown. Um, Aaron Judge almost did it last year. Uh, but just just in the sense of this era and seeing guys, at Coors Field last night, and I, I know it's the Dodgers, but over the weekend, we saw the LA uh, Angels come in where you get Trout and Otani, obviously two of those guys. And then yesterday, you see on the mound, Clayton Kershaw. At first base is Freddie Freeman. And at second base is Mookie Betts. And so you're watching... 
historically good players play constantly, and it's almost and it's almost all all the time now. Yeah, it's uh, it's fine. It's a it's a great era. It really is. If you're a baseball fan, it is a great era. Speaking of baseball, I want to transition to the College World Series. We've always enjoyed the College World Series. We're a baseball family, and watching that, and especially because you you have friends who are competing in it and kids I know, and so it, it was particularly special this year. But it wasn't just us. They broke all kinds of records, ESPN did, across their platforms for viewership. It was up, I think, 75% from a year ago. They averaged 1.65 million. Uh, actually, it was a 48% increase uh, from last year. And the finals were, were just under 3 million. That's great. Great, great, great for the sport, especially at the college level. I, I thought it was outstanding. Yeah, I saw something, and even when you add in ESPNU's view, uh, viewers too, it was up to close to like three and a half million people, uh, which is which is crazy for the college level. And ESPN, uh, the storyline they kind of ran with at the start of the College World Series, and it became true, and it was true, was that this is a, an incredible field of teams because you're looking at teams like Tennessee, who got upset last year, and they were supposed to be so great. And obviously, Wake Forest, the number one team in the country, dominated all year. But then Florida is the number two team. LSU had so much hype. And all these star players um, were at the College World Series. So many top 10 draft picks, uh, whether in this year or next year's draft. Uh, plus uh, Oral Roberts, uh, a team, the, the third, fourth seed to ever make the College World Series. And they end up going and winning the game in an exciting matter against TCU and gave Florida a whole run for their money as well. So at all the games in the College World Series, uh, except for really game two and game three of the, of the final series, they were nail biters. They were coming down to the end. They were interesting the whole way out, and they couldn't have asked for a better. That has to be one of the best college world series of all time. And it's really cool how it keeps gaining in popularity. One of the things uh, that kids the the Jello shot challenge, just stuff like that. You can see things increasing. The the popularity of the college world series increasing because uh, a few years ago Mississippi State broke the record for that competition buying. 3,000 shots. And then Ole Miss crushed it last year and set the new record with 12,000. And then this year, LSU comes in and they have like, they bought like 75,000 shots uh, of jello shots. And there's tons of other schools that broke it. Obviously, that's just a restaurant, but I also think it speaks to the testament that this cultural series is getting super popular. Uh, and it's cool to see these players at a high level because they're, there's some guys who could play in the major leagues right now who we were watching on the field. Paul Skeens is, I've, I've never seen a college pitcher like that. Uh, it, they compare him to Steven Strasburg. I was still kind of young when he was he was playing in college. But uh, watching a guy throw 101-102 consistently throughout an entire game and just no one can touch him, and he backed that out with just an incredible slider. The guy is huge, and he's able to pitch on short rests at times, go deep in games. It was incredible. And when they face off against Wake Forest in that do-or-guy game, and um, you, know, you have Rhett Lauder, who is falling into a position where he might end up being a, a Rockies draft pick, uh, the, uh, hopefully if he falls that much, that's a possibility uh, this year. Um, but he had such a phenomenal year as well. And they go, you know, toe for toe for each other, 0-0, and, and LSU gets to walk it off on a home run um, by uh, Tommy White, Tommy Tanks, who's, you know, going to the top 10 next year. Uh, so it, it's crazy um, the amount of talent that was there. And that final series, you have Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford, both controlling center field for LSU and, and Florida. And they both had fantastic, uh, college world series, obviously years that Dylan Cruz won the, 
won the Golden Spice, and he's in the the College World Series. And I, I know it's a storyline if you watched it that they always showed it that with Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, and uh, Jack Hardleon all being in the same College World Series is ridiculous. And Jack Hardleon sets the BB Core record for home runs this year. And then he started; he didn't have a great start in Game Three, but then he's also on the mound throwing 97 miles an hour from the left side. Uh, it's it's crazy the talent that is there, the development and money that goes into those programs now. I mean, they're they're just nicer, nicer than big league facilities, and a lot of them um, in terms of in terms of training. Obviously, none of the fields necessarily, but uh, so the the level of play keeps getting higher. The whole tournament, it's a it's kind of like March Madness, and I think that kind of generates a lot of attention at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. I want to go back to the Jello shots for one moment. The thing that those schools have in common. They're all right there in the Deep South. I don't know what it is. They're SEC schools, Mississippi, Mississippi State, and then LSU blew it away. I did see, because we had a good buddy who was playing for Virginia, and his family was there, and Virginia, and this is not to dismiss the academic uh, uh, credentials of those aforementioned schools, but the the two lowest from a participatory standpoint jello shots were, I believe, Virginia Super high academic school. Stanford, another high academic huh. school. It's almost like they, uh, you know, put their nose up in the air as to put, we're not going to do these jello shots. That's my take on that. Uh, going to Paul Skeens. Followed him closely, not only because of his greatness, but he's a kid that was right down the road at the Air Force Academy for, for two years. The Pittsburgh Pirates, who have, uh, I know they struggled of late. They got out of the gate great this year. Pittsburgh Pirates, in a, in a weak division, we're talking about Cincinnati, they're still in it. They have the first pick in the draft. If they take Paul Skeens, Paul Skeens can help them, to your point, right away. It, it's so unusual. When we talk about great college players, most of them still are going to take a couple of years or in that period of time to be groomed and be good enough to get to the big leagues. In the case of Paul Skeens, 101, as you said, 102, nasty slider. That is what it is. He can help them win games this year if they go in that direction in the draft. I think from a pitching standpoint, I think it's a lot easier for a guy to get called up real fast. We watched Ben Joyce, obviously he's a reliever, but he's thrown 106 at Tennessee last year, and now he's doing really well in the big leagues. Uh, so pitchers, I think, can definitely elevate their game from the college level to the major leagues at a, a much faster pace than uh, the the hitters can. I remember they talked about Spencer Torkelson right after the 2020 draft, and he got drafted first. That they might the Tigers might call him up immediately. Uh, and obviously, we've seen and, and he's still really young. And but hitters take a little bit more time to develop. You have to face better pitching. You have to figure out different strategies of how you're going to attack different pitchers. There's obviously so much more scouting done on you. Um, I think it takes more development. But 101, 102 with that type of movement and a slider. Uh, it plays at every level. So I, I think that you can call up a guy like that a lot faster. I still think it'll be interesting. I still think the Pirates will end up going with Dylan Cruz, um, I mean, uh, up the middle. So um, other than that, though, I mean, it's it's incredible how how good he is, and it's cool that he came from Air Force as well. Yeah, no question. The Rockies, by the way, have the ninth selection in the first round. We'll do more on that when the draft uh, approaches uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks. Okay, very quickly, I want to talk about Nolan Jones because we have an interview with Nolan. I'm really excited about his prospects, and, and legitimately so. We've talked a lot about Ezekiel Tovar. We've talked some about Brenton Doyle. And we've mentioned Nolan Jones uh, recently on this podcast. 
he has a, a calmness to the plate. He has a plate discipline, and he has an impact to his bat. Ball over the wall, ball in the gap, hit ability, ball the other way, behind in the count, draws walks. Um, not to mention defensively, especially in the outfield. He's really good. He's got one of the best arms in baseball, and he's faster than you think. He's stolen five bags. I think this guy can be a really good player. When I say really good player, I'm not talking about you know a guy who starts on a mediocre team. I'm talking about a guy who can have an impact on an upper division team because that's what you're pursuing if you're in sports, and it's certainly what the Rockies are trying to get back to. I mean, he's been fantastic since coming up. Uh, obviously, small sample size, but all the tools are there, uh, and it's been really fun to watch. Uh, it could turn into something where we kind of steal him away from the Guardians. It looks like it could turn into a really good move for the Rockies, and it's been fun to watch him have a lot of success since coming up. Brenton Doyle, obviously, we've talked about endlessly uh, the impact he, may- he can make on a game defensively on the base pass, uh, how strong he is at the plate. Um, and then Ezekiel Tovar uh, struggled a little bit at the start, but now he's over the last you know 40 games been been fantastic. And and even him, we watched him go the other way, right center field home run the other night. So it's it's really cool to see those young guys coming up for the Rockies. Um, and Nolan Jones has uh, certainly been one of the most exciting uh, guys. And it and he also wasn't a guy who was super on the radar of a ton of people. Uh, coming into the year comparatively to some of the other Rockies prospects. Yeah, and that's what you need. You're gonna need you're gonna need good breaks. You're gonna need a lot more help in addition to the aforementioned guys. But let's get to know Nolan Jones a little bit better. How much fun are you having? A ton of it. Yeah. Ton of fun. Yeah. Is it different this time around than last year in Cleveland when you got up? And if so, why? Um yeah, I think it is. I think um, when I came up with Cleveland, I felt like uh, I came up with a team that was pushing for a playoff race, um, and I felt that I was, you know, I was a new guy. Um, we had a ton of rookies, but everything was very um, micromanaged uh, because mistakes obviously matter in this game, um, and I feel like here... I have a little more freedom to kind of learn things and learn about myself. Um, we have a different veteran leadership here than I had in Cleveland um, that I've really been able to, to take a lot from already and learn from every day. Are there specific guys, when you talk about veteran leadership, I, I think from where I sit, you know, I think of Charlie, I think of Mike Moustakis. Who has been uh, a counselor to you and what have they passed along? Yeah, I think, I mean, I got to um, know Randall Gritchick prior to being with the Rockies. Um, so right away, Gritch took me under his wing um, and helped me out a lot. And But being around guys like Charlie and Mike, who are left-handed hitters um, and have faced a lot of these guys, has really helped me. Um, day-to-day approach, um, planning, uh, swing changes, small, large, everything, um, my plan, all those things um, are kind of changing every day. Um, and to have guys like that to talk through and and learn from is, is awesome. Are you mechanically different from your first 86 at-bats in Cleveland, or is it more so upstairs in the head? I think it's more upstairs. I think I'm trying to learn. Um, you know, I, I ran into some early success here, um, and then there's been some failures along the way. Um, so I'm trying to learn um, how to bounce back from that, how to, you know, how to evolve with the game and how I'm getting pitched, um, situ- learning situ- different situations, how I'm being pitched in, 
Um, so I think it's a bit, it's a game of, of learning um, and making mistakes. I've definitely made my fair share of mistakes already, and I'm going to make more. Um, but just constantly trying to trying to learn and evolve through the game. Do you feel like and understand how I'm asking this? Do you feel like you know what? I know I belong now. Or is it? And it's okay if it's not you know because it takes a while. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that I have the feeling that I belong. I think this year I finally proved myself that I can do it. Um, I proved that I'm able to play here. Um, I don't know how long it'll take for me to believe that I belong here, but to have some early success here, um, to make some small changes that I've seen play out in the field, to play different positions, um, I think it's a good feeling, and I personally believe that I'm able to compete at this level. Um, I don't know that I belong here yet, um, I think that'll come with time. But for me to believe that I can play here is definitely a huge step. What drives you every day? I mean, what, what gives you the hunger? Uh, because this is a, an unrelenting sport. Um, mentally, it, it's, it's so difficult. But, but also, you play every day. And you got to be up every day. And, and you know you're going to face a heck of an arm at 7 o'clock every night. Yeah, I think that you know I have an opportunity to live out my dream every single day. Um, I think that since I picked up a baseball bat first watching guys on tv it's what i've always wanted to do i've always wanted to to be a role model to somebody to make somebody's life better to make somebody look to have someone look up to me um and to have the opportunity to come out here and live out my dream and play a kid's game for a living yeah it's neat when you got traded what went through your mind honestly i was really upset at first um i spent seven years with the guardians and i loved all the people over there um i did not see it coming and it caught, caught me off guard i was on vacation um, I remember it ruining my day. Um, I was extremely sad and felt like I felt like it was kind of like a wasted seven years, like all those friendships had gone to waste. Um, but I mean, I very quickly turned turned the page and looked at it as a new opportunity and headed out to Arizona in January. And remember, after my first day, I called my dad and said, "This is gonna be the best thing that ever happened to me." Interesting. Why did you feel that way? I was just, I, I, I walked into a locker room with Ryan McMahon, Randall Gritchick, um, Brian Servin. Um, there was a bunch of guys there, and they were all unbelievably welcoming to me. Um, I felt at home right away and felt that, you know, uh, I had a chance to, to compete and, and, and be on this team and help this team win. I noticed last night as we were going to commercial break, I think there was a pitching change going on. Will Benson was pinch running at first, and you went over and gave him a big bear hug, yeah. uh, a guy you kind of grew up with, huh? Yeah, I mean, Willie and I got drafted together, um, and, you know, we went through some hard times together. Um, it's not always easy. It seems glamorous sometimes, but the minor leagues is not that at all sometimes. Um, we went through 15-hour bus trips, you know, playing in front of nobody, and and grinding a lot of failures and you know to see a guy that you've come up with and you've worked your ass off with for seven years and to to both be at the biggest stage in the world and and competing whether it's with or against each other i couldn't be happier for him and to see the smile on his face it meant, meant everything to me yeah do you guys commiserate a little bit also because you're you're similar in stature i mean you're two big dudes I think that we have so many similarities to our game that it helped us both because we were always competing against each other. Um, we were both constantly trying to learn from each other and for constantly competing, and I think it made us both better. Yeah. More with Drew and Rockies outfielder Nolan Jones right after this. 
been drinking Boyer's coffee for a long, long time. Start my day with it, and when I'm at home, as I tell you, at the ballpark, I get uh, a couple of cups of Boyer's to get me through the ball game. Uh, Boyer'sCoffee.com is where you'll find all of their wonderful products, all of their wonderful flavors, and you can learn about their history as well because it's interesting, it's unique. Um, they're a great community partner, and they've been brewing outstanding coffee in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. And uh, again, you can have it delivered right to your house like I do by just clicking a couple of buttons and you don't even have to worry about shopping for it and you never run out. That's the best way to handle things though. Boyer's products are in your local market as well. Boyer'sCoffee.com. Hey everybody, I love telling you about Steel Products and Father's Day is right around the corner and they have all kinds of Father's Day sales on their battery products. So you got to check out Steel. It's S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. That'll tell you where your nearest location is. And I guarantee it's uh, very close to your house because they have more than 10,000 around the nation. SteelUSA.com, S-T-I-H-L, and you can learn about all of their products such a large variety it's ridiculous how many products they have and they're inventing new stuff all the time in fact recently i got myself this hand vacuum now it's a high-end battery operated vacuum so you can clean up messes you can clean up stuff in the garage you can clean up stuff behind the refrigerator it has all kinds of different um, utensils that uh come with the vacuum i'm doing a great job of describing this all right but it's a wonderful product man it's handy like everything in their line whether it's to trim the yard up bushes reach high places with pruning tools they've got it all if you're if you're you know cutting a path through the forest and you need high-end chainsaws you go to steel it's that simple s-t-i-h-l and it's father's day so make sure you check out all of their great sales items right now. STIHL, SteelUSA.com. Now back to Drew and Nolan Jones. What attribute of the many tools that you bring to the ballpark do you think is number one in your book? And, and how, would you, how would you rate yourself when it came to tools? Um... I think I think there's definitely some tools in my game. Um, I think the number one thing is that I'm a competitor. Um, I don't care who's on the mound. I don't care who we're facing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you 110. percent I'm gonna I'm gonna bust my ass on the line every time. I'm gonna play the game hard and I'm gonna try and win. I think that's the biggest thing. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of good baseball players out there, but there's there's at some point there's a factor that separates people, and I think what separates me from other people is that. I'm, I'm going to compete no matter what. You know the scouting scale, 20 to 80, 50 being average. I read a scouting report that had you as a 45 runner. You're not a 45 runner. You're, you you run well, especially underway. Um, do you, do you kind of like that you're, in some regards, sneaky quick? You've been able to get some bags? Yeah, I think, I mean, in this game, 90 feet is the biggest thing in the world. Um, having a runner on second base as opposed to first, you're single away from scoring. Um, so... Sneaky fast is, I guess, is a good way to put it. I wouldn't say there's a lot of speed there, but if I can, you know, pick a good spot and talk to Giddy and plan before the game and pick a spot to, to get an extra 90 feet, I mean, it, it, it's huge. Yeah. Home runs. How, uh, how how special is it when you connect and, and you know you got one? Because uh, when you hit them, they stay hit pretty long. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an indescribable feeling. Obviously, everything has to go right. Um, you got the best in the world on the mound, and, and you're out there competing. So to get a pitch that you can drive and to put a good swing on it and have the timing be perfect and the swing decision be right, um, it all has to add up. So to connect with one and, and, and let it fly and know you got it and have the opportunity to watch it is, is a cool feeling. You know you have the longest home run in the National League this year, and I think you're second by two feet to judge. I think that's still how it stands. Is that pretty cool? Yeah, I mean, it's cool. I think, um, you know, the difference between Aaron Judge and I is he does it a little more often than I do. So that's something that I'm constantly working on. Um, It doesn't matter how far it goes. It just matters if it goes over the fence. So I'm trying to just be more consistent with with putting the ball in the air and driving it. I love hockey. I'm fascinated by guys who have a hockey background. You have a pretty significant hockey background. Tell us how good a player you were. Uh, I was good when I was young. Um, I was, uh, you know, I kind of slowed down once I started playing uh, playing baseball and hockey and wasn't playing hockey in the winter. I slowed down a little bit. Towards my freshman year of high school, I had a, a bad concussion. I wasn't able to play anymore. Um, hockey was always my first love. I was always a little better at baseball, um, but I loved playing hockey. I love the competitiveness and the physicality of hockey. Um, but my brother's currently still a professional hockey player, so to be able to, to be around hockey and, and be involved in hockey and get to support him and watch him live out his dreams has been super cool for me. You're, you still play in any drop-in, no check, uh, leagues in the winter, or am I going to get you in trouble? <laughs> I, uh, when I get an opportunity, I go out there by myself. I haven't played in any leagues um, just because anything can happen. My baseball career could come to a close way, way earlier than I would like it to. Um, but, yeah, I get out on the ice whenever I can. What kind of player would you have been? Would you have been uh, a guy that stood in front of the net? Would you have been, uh, ha- had an enforcer image to you? Would you be, uh, you know, wh- what kind of hockey player would you have been? Yeah, when I was younger, I think I was more of a skilled guy. I was, uh, I had the physicality, but I was more of a skilled guy. I didn't really hit my growth spurt until my junior year of high school. Um, so now I would definitely say I'm a stand in front of the net kind of guy. Um enforcer uh but i was definitely a skill guy when i was younger yeah how much does your brother being a professional athlete and you guys can talk about uh you know the mental side of competing if you will and and the grind that you go through in training and and trying to perform every day how much uh, how important is that to have someone like that to lean on yeah i mean it's huge he grew up as as my biggest fan and obviously my big brother but also I wanted to beat him in no matter what we did. Um, so we were always competing against each other. I know that I would not be here today if it wasn't for him. And, and I learned what hard work was from him. He's the hardest working person I've ever met in my life. Um, so to be able to talk through things and even, I mean, he's my physical therapist at times when my body's not feeling great. Like he knows the body really well. Um, so to have someone like him in my corner and, and being able to talk through through mental parts of the game and when when things aren't going the greatest uh, he's a goalie so he understands so to have someone like that in your corner is is definitely huge and definitely is in my my favor are you glad you went the route you did going out of high school as opposed to you know maybe going to college your brother obviously went to penn state yeah um i had an opportunity to go to uva um but I think getting into the professional baseball world was the best thing for me. Um, I got to learn the professional side of the game, um, which is played a little differently than the, the college side. So I definitely think looking back, I made the right decision. Uh, I got to visit my brother a lot in uh, college because he's uh, during the winter um, and see a lot of his hockey and, and have some good times in, as a college experience. Um, 
So I don't, I never felt that I missed that part of it. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely glad I made the decision I did. Not bad because you didn't have to go to class. You could just go up and hang out. Exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> Good deal. All right, last one. Do you allow yourself to, uh, when you put your head on the pillow or, or you're on the plane or, or maybe a bus ride to the airport, to let yourself try to envision who you can be down the road in this game and what it looks like? Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really someone that tries to live in the moment as much as I can. Um, I try and be present. I was asked earlier today about what the outfield in the Rockies is going to look like in three years, and it's the last question I want to answer or even think about. Um, but I think that I have dreams for myself, and I believe in myself more than anybody in the world. Um, and I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing is to believe in yourself. So I think that when things don't go my way or when I, when I make a mental mistake, um, it really frustrates me and, and I take it hard and I'm hard on myself. Um, but I do think there's a, a, a strong aspect of living in the moment and learning from mistakes. Um, I think it's a huge part of our game. But, yeah, I definitely think that I, I love to envision what I can be. Um, I believe, Like I said, I believe in myself um, and I've – I feel that, you know, I can I could be a really good player in this league. So, hey, continued success, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really like him, and it goes beyond talent to achieve at the highest levels, highest levels collegiately, the highest levels professionally. There's always a common denominator: drive, drive with a great skill set to be great. There are people who have outstanding skill sets, but the drive may not be the same, and therefore they get mired in some form of mediocrity and never reach the ceiling. In getting to know Nolan Jones, he's driven to be great. And oh, by the way, he has a really good skill set. So excited to uh, watch Nolan Jones the rest of the year and uh, and what he becomes, and, and hopefully he is a big part of the Rockies turning this uh, ship around. All right, quickly before we get on out of here, want to talk Avalanche. Avalanche have been really busy. Avalanche are in a win-now mode. They just won a Stanley Cup. Didn't do as well this year as we know in the postseason. Seattle eliminated them in seven games in round one. They picked up some draft picks and immediately made a deal. Tell me, you follow the Avalanche as close as anyone. Tell me what you think of what they've done. Uh what they've done so far is just McFarlane and Sackick doing doing what they do at such a high level. It's uh, it's been fun to watch, and I don't think they're they're done at all. It's uh, they started all off with the Alex Galchenyuk for Ryan Johansson. You fixed your two C, which was uh, the biggest question of the off season, as you needed to get a a two C. Obviously, last year they were hoping Newhook stepped into that position uh, after Kadri left. Ended up having to be JT Comfer. He had a career year. I think Comfer set on a really good team is more of a 3C uh, and Newhook didn't um, grow as much. He actually in a in a larger role last year had less points than the year before he had as a rookie. Um, so they end up moving on from him uh, from Newhook which was a little bit of a surprise and uh, especially with all the, the young talent that Newhook has and could potentially develop into. Um, but you go get two uh, a late first and an early second for him and the Avalanche do not have a, a tremendous prospect pool anymore because and they don't have a ton of draft capital as you as teams in win now mode often are and uh so i think that helps them with that side but i also think that these picks are going to be trade tools um for for other trades that they made and they already used it uh in a trade today for for ross colton who was on the tampa bay lightning uh when when the avalanche 
played them in the cup a couple years ago, and he's a, a power left winger, gets in front of the net, uh, hard to move around. Uh, definitely someone that I think uh, people, Avalanche fans, are definitely going to like right away, just by the way he plays the game. Funny note on him, uh, Logan O'Connor, who Avalanche fans uh, adore because he plays so hard, has four career fights, and two of them happen to be against Ross Colton. And now there's probably a pretty good chance that they're, they're line mates. I've always thought that's interesting in a sport like hockey where it's so vicious all the time. And then next thing you know, you're on the team together and you gotta, you gotta become friends. But, uh, Ross Colton should be uh, a nice addition for the Avalanche. Ryan Johansson, people, uh, can, have been dogging on him a little bit because he hasn't had as good of a, a last couple seasons, but he also wasn't playing around as much talent. He's also 30 years old. Um, and we saw Nazem Kadri have his career year at 30 years old. He's not too old to be doing anything, and he's going to be playing around a lot more talent now with the Avalanche. But I think it's really encouraging that they go get Ross Colton, they get Ryan Johansson, um, and I think they're just going to continue to build some depth, which we saw last year in the playoffs was was killer when they dealt with some injuries and you know Gabe Landis got to be out all year, and then Valerian Ashushian, that whole saga uh, and then the Seattle Kraken, which which on this podcast we talked about, hey, this might be the best team in the Western Conference for the Avs to play. Well, they rolled four lines the whole series, and when you don't have any depth scoring, the Avs didn't have a single bottom six goal in that entire series, it's going to catch up to you. McKinnon and, and Ranton and McCarr, they were playing at an unbelievable level, but it almost felt like the, the Avs, when they played the Sharks after they had beat the Flames that first year, where it's like, all right, well, we need McKenna to score two tonight. And uh, so they need to get back to the depth that they had, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And they're, they're definitely trying to build that up because that was certainly the difference in that Seattle series. Yeah, and, and they're in win-now, and they need to be in win-now mode. I always say this. People go, well, you know, the farm system's depleted. It's rated last in, in, in most hockey circles. I don't. I mean, I care about that, but I care about winning championships. That's and, and they have a nucleus right now where they should be able to contend each year for a few years. So if you have a parade or two or maybe more, right? You don't worry about well, you know, where's the depth for twenty twenty eight. We'll worry about 2028 when we get closer to 2028 when you have the kind of talent they have. But to your point, Nathan McKinnon can't be playing 26, 27 minutes or whatever, you know, 25 plus minutes a night, uh, even as great as he is. It's just too much of a burden. They have to get uh, some production from, as you said, their their bottom uh, 12 or their bottom six, I should say. So we'll see how it works out. Yeah, we'll see, especially right now. It- when this podcast comes out, it might be e- even different then because the, the draft is tonight. So there's one of the busiest trade portions of the entire season uh, for the NHL. But it's it's kind of looking like probably JT Comfer is not coming back anymore either. So there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff by the time you're on this podcast next weekend, I believe, um, talking about the avalanche uh, over the additions that we just mentioned on uh, the podcast today. So it's, it's definitely going to be certainly interesting. And on your point of, uh, not having a great prospect pool anymore or rankings in the bottom. Well, you also look and you look at, you have perennial all-stars and some all-time great level players locked up for uh, a long time. So this is an avalanche team that's going to be successful for years to come. And hopefully that translates into another cup or two. Uh, obviously it's the hardest sport, uh, trophy to win in sports. So, it's a grind, and we'll see what happens. But uh, 
you know, they're the preseason favorite to win uh, the Stanley Cup again, Vegas betting odds, and cool time to be in Colorado. So are the Denver Nuggets, and so uh, so that's that's fun. They're going to be right there every year, and there's going to be a lot to talk about with those two teams um, over the course of the next, you know, five to, to eight years. Thanks for flying in from St. Louis for the express purpose of doing this podcast. <laughs> that's the only reason we're here. Uh, I'm here is to do it in person. There you go. Love you, buddy. I love you too. Thanks for having me on. All right, that'll do it. We'll uh, we'll convene again in seven days. You all stay well, stay safe, take care.